Hey everybody, welcome back to Stuff You Don't Need to Know. This is Jay, and uh, back from college on a little bit of a break, it is Diana. Hi. So, we decided that uh, this weekend, Crimes of Grim Grindelwald are coming out. We haven't seen it yet, so we're not talking about that, but we've decided to talk about everything Harry Potter. Uh, the books, the movies, video games. Yeah, uh, I played a few of the video games. Yeah, uh, I don't know Legos. <laughs> I played the Lego. Oh, I, I played the I played the one through four. That one I played. Uh, Off Broadway shows, theme parks. Really, if it has if it has to do with Harry Potter and his friends, we're gonna discuss it. Uh, I'll just say it right now. Spoilers galore because we're gonna go from Harry Potter and the. I, I'm gonna use the correct title, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, all the way up to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, the movie, based on the book. I had the book. We had the book. We did have the book. It's like a 20-page thing. Yeah, a little more than that. And then you have Ron and Harry's notes in it, and that's always fun. Oh, that's always a good thing to do. Yep. All right, so I think I think the, the best question to start off with is, you know, the world of Harry Potter, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, it's, it's in a pretty expansive universe so diana as a as a writer mm -hmm. how do you feel that this is a very rich universe or kind of more of like a commercialized like what's your take on the on the universe of harry potter in general i don't know it's just well because i i didn't read all the books so i can't so i'm just going off mostly the the movies and what we saw at universal and and of course from puffs and then it's just like the I think it's really everything that you need that you could possibly need to know is included in the books. So that like even though you don't know everything about it, like you don't know like every person in Hogsmeade or like you know, you don't know like a bunch of like oh what's hap what's what's the wizarding like you don't hear from like other wizarding schools. So then it's like it's not it's not like in like a J.R.R. Tolkien Silmarillion kind of where he tells you everything you could possibly need about the world. It's more just like this is the information the reader needs to know, or in my case, the viewer needs to know, and we'll just stick with that. So I think that that I like more because it, it makes it more accessible, but then for but then it still has its tiny little details that you could pick out. So let me ask you then. So let's say, you know, as a writer, let's say uh, kind of like how Lucas did with Star Wars. He was like, he opened it up. He's like, okay, authors can start writing expanded universe. So if J.K. Rowling said to you, Diana, I want you to write an expanded universe novel for Harry Potter, do you feel you, you know, you have enough material to write a really good book? And it doesn't have to be, I mean, not even about Harry and Ron. Like she said, you could write about anything. So if you wanted to write about a wizarding school in Brazil, like do you feel you know enough of the world that you could successfully do that? Yeah, because everything's kind of laid out. Like, the rules of how magic work, The well, I know with some of her comments, she did change up magic because she wanted a little uh, bump up with certain groups. But the way that magic works, you know. The way that potions work, you know. So just the core aspect of the universe, you know, but there's enough wiggle room to give it, like, its own little flair. Like, this is how they do it in like Asia this is how they'll do it like in like like in North America everything's a lot more even though everything seemed like bureaucratic like, see because like the thing is that they reflect the places because like 
the the Ministry of Magic in England is very bureaucratic than the way that Parliament is, where it's a lot of screaming and voices toppling on top of each other. Sure. But then, what well, we've seen in Fantastic Beasts, the American, I don't know if it's the Ministry, I don't know what they call it. Yeah, I don't know if they call, but but basically the American version of the Ministry it's it's of Magic. more it's more everything is gridlocked and everybody stays in that traditional view of things because they can't change because everything's so gridlocked. So I like that touch how things kind of like mirror the countries they're a part of. All right, let's let's kind of keep going with that because one thing I found very interesting in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them uh, is when Newt Scamander uh, kind of first meets up with uh, and I do not recall the character's name. But the uh, the former Auror from the U.S. Ministry of Magic, and he kind of says, "Was that Jude Law?" No, not Jude. No, Jude Law. I is... forgot what Jude Law was. I saw it on a plane. Jude Law. No, Jude. Law. Well, I know he's Grindelwald, but what was he posing as? No, Jude Law is going to be Dumbledore. Oh, then who? That's, then who was? Um... Then who was Grindelwald? Grindelwald was that was Colin um, Colin Farrell. Oh, what was he supposed to be? He, what was his cover? Well, he was that no, he was the head of the aura department. But when he met, um, pretty much the one you, you, you're sure he's going to have a romantic relationship with. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But you know, she said, you know, she goes, Mister Scamander, do you have any idea about wizarding law here in America? And he goes, Oh, yes, I do. I know you have a few backwards ideas. Um, what, what did you sort of think of that dichotomy? How in Britain? They don't seem to mind wizards mixing with muggles. I mean, obviously, hide magic from muggles. But in the United States, it's like, you know, you are not to interact with muggles at all. What did, what did you what did you kind of think of that? I think it was kind of like... It was like a veiled metaphor for, like, how U.S. racism was. Because yeah. it was a lot... Because, like, in England, things were pretty bad. And things are still pretty bad. But then they they were better with it compared to America. So then, like, that's why, like, that's why, like, like things, like, like in the 60s, things weren't as racially charged in England, and now they're not as racially charged, but I know there's still problems. But then, like, that's supposed to kind of be, like, how in America, how, like, in a lot of states, it was illegal for people of a different race to get married. So it's kind of, like, mirroring that. Yeah, I kind of, kind of sensed on that, too. Alrighty, so let's you know, let's just kind of take a look at the universe here. Um, are you the kind you know looking at this big expansive Harry Potter universe? Do you latch on more to the main characters, and and we'll look at you know Harry Potter first, the Harry Potter series. Do you kind of latch on to the big three? Are you more of liking sort of the rich secondary characters like? In this universe, what do you? Who do you kind of gravitate more towards? I think everybody but Harry, because I think Harry is just a bit boring. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you can't just leave it right there. Go, come on. What, what do you mean by that? Because like I don't know. Because like I, I don't remember when you read the books to me, and I never read the books. But then, it's just like in the movies, it's like it's like people throw this term around a lot now. But I think it was true for Harry, where Harry was like a Mary Sue, where he's just like, I'm a good guy, and mm -hmm. I'm going to stop Voldemort. That's what I'm going to do. And then I just kind of felt that that was Harry Potter. Like a little bit in like, what was it, the the sixth one, where he got a little bit like, he got a little bit arrogant, like, yeah, I'm Harry Potter. But then it was, it was very brief in the movies. I don't know, in the book. Yeah, it was kind of brief in the book as well. Um, but... 
I mean, do, I mean, you don't do you find you, you find him to be a boring character, but not necessarily a, a bad character. Um. Well, he's not like it's not like this is a disaster of a character. It's not like I can't think of an example now, but it's not like. I can't think of an example, but it's That's not okay. it's it's not like this is a disaster of a character, but then this is just like out of everybody he's the most boring. In like Okay. Yeah. Alrighty then, so favorite character in uh the first seven books. I like Neville. <laughs> yeah, Neville's a good one. What what is it that you like about Neville? Because Neville's kind of like a loser, but then like he because like Harry Potter, he came to school, and everybody knew who he was, and everybody cared and knew who he was. Hermione was always the smartest, so everybody was like, oh, Hermione, she's the top of her class. Ron was always like, I guess this could go for Ron, too. Ron's a little bit of a loser. <laughs> Not okay, okay, that's fair. Well, like, I like Neville and Ron, that's what I like. But then, like, but then, like, sticking with Neville is that, like, He's like in the first movies. He's a wimp. Like he like he's he's a wimp. He's not really that good at magic. Like I like there was the one in five where he couldn't even do Expelliarmus. He had to practice mm-hmm. the yeah. wand movement constantly. So then like he's not a good wizard. He's he's a wimp. He's not the brightest. But then he makes something of himself and he grows. Which, but then Harry Potter is mm-hmm. just kind of like. I've been cool since day one, and day twenty, I'm still cool. Would you say he that Neville had a better hero's journey than Harry? Yeah, because Harry was just kind of like, why? Because like Harry had, Harry had physical obstacles thrown at him, and like sure he overcame those physical obstacles, but like Neville had like, not like emotional obstacles, but he had like he had like it wasn't just Neville fighting a bad guy; it was him finding confidence in himself, and then that. That just seems more real that you could relate to, because like you know, how many people, how many people are raised to be like, how many people have been raised being told there, wow, you're so cool, you're everything, and you fight bad guys all the time, but then Neville has to learn to be confident in himself. Interesting, interesting theory that I saw about uh, Neville, and because really, you know, you kind of brought up a good point in book five, movie five, um, Order of the Phoenix. You know, we see him. Really, still really struggling with magic. After that, he seems to get better. And there's a theory out there saying that, and this is more, you know, if you, if you read the books, uh, that his wand from year one up to year five was one of his parents' wands because we know the story that his parents were famous aurors. Uh, they were killed by Voldemort. Oh, no, they were tortured to insanity by Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh, I didn't know. I sound like an idiot now. Well, no, because you're you're going based on the movie. And we're definitely going to talk about the differences between the books and the movies a little bit. But uh, at the Battle of the Ministry of Magic, where, you know, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Luna, and uh, Neville... Where they go through the room with all the orbs, right? Right, everything. Well, his wand gets damaged there. So year six, he shows up with his very own wand. And what do we know? What is like the one core tenant of wand lore? Oh, is it the wand chooses the wizard? Yeah. The wand chooses the wizard. So if you think about it, he was given a wand. It didn't choose him. So it worked. And, you know, and Ollivander kind of explains this in book seven and part two of movie seven that uh, the wand can like change its mind. 
It can change its allegiance. You know, you know, yes, you could take a wand from somebody and yes, it could work for you, but really unless you form that bond. So if you think about it, right before year six, he and his grandmother went to a Diagon Alley. He probably went to Ollivander's and he finally got a wand of his own. And this is when we see, as I like to call him, bad, badass Neville. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, one of my favorite characters was, was always Luna. I don't know. When I first read her in the books... I just had a connection with her right away, like like the ultimate outsider. Um, what I love about Luna, and you know, you see it in the movies, and you really see it in the books. No filter on this girl. She says what's on her mind. Uh, the famous scene uh, at um, Bill and Fleur's wedding when uh, you know Xenophilius Lovegood, her dad, is talking to Harry, and she just goes. Come on, Dad. Harry doesn't want to talk to us, but clearly he's too embarrassed to say so. Like, to me, that's Luna. I think she's a fabulous witch. I think she's a great role model. Uh, she's, she's one of my favorite characters. What did, what did what'd you think of Luna? I don't know. I think, like, I don't know if it was just because, like, mostly what I know is the movies. Mm-hmm. So then just, like, I just felt like in the movies she wasn't given more than her just being, like, that weird, like, outcast girl. Yeah, I felt like she was kind of stuck in that trope and they didn't give her anything else to go off of. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think a hard part of it too is, you know, and if you guys jump, well, not right now, of course, because you're listening to us, but if you listen over at Enter the Nerd Zone, Pete and I, we spend one episode each talking about differences between the books and movies. Uh, he, as he will like to tell people, he has never read a book. Um, you know, so he's kind of the movie one, I'm the book one. And that's the thing is, I think there's a lot of instances where Luna, you know, really shines in the books and really gives a lot of insight to Harry and wisdom to Harry to the point where around book six, when he invites her to Slughorn's party, I kind of thought, hey, I think Harry and Luna might end up together. You don't really kind of get that in the movies because, again, I think there's like, hey, she's the she's the loony girl. Um, I did kind of, and I, I still think to this day that that would have been a pretty decent, decent, um, pairing. Because, so, go ahead. Because what, what, what does Harry see in Ginny? Because in the movies, in the movies, I never really got it. So like in the books, because like in the movies, it just kind of felt like, like when, when, when they kissed in, epi- in I was going to say episode six in the sixth <laughs> movie. Yeah. It just kind of like if you did, like I knew it was coming because you told me it was coming, but if you didn't know it was coming, it's kind of out of nowhere. So in the books, what's like the not the justification, but like why? Yeah, and I mean that's the thing is is I really don't see it because you know it starts off with she's got the crush on Harry. You know, I mean we know that we from see two from two actually even in one because they kind of say in one um, I think it's like when they're celebrating Christmas and again this is the books. You know, Ron kind of makes a side comment that that Ginny won't stop talking about you. Um, you know, and we see it in two, and in the book, she kind of hear about it until she starts dating Dean Thomas. I think that's about book five. All of a sudden, Harry, who's never noticed her except for the fact that she's Ron's young little sister, um, all of a sudden, it's like he's jealous that she's dating Dean Thomas. And I'm like, why? You've never laid eyes on her. If anything, you made googly eyes at Cho Chang. If anything, you have more of a connection with Hermione. It's almost sort of like he knew that she liked him 
it really never crosses mind. But then all of a sudden, she's like, sort of like, well, I'm not waiting for Harry Potter anymore. I'm, I'm moving on to Mr. Dean Thomas, you know, whatever. Um, I kind of felt that it was, it was almost kind of like an ego thing for him. Like, oh, I can't let her get away. Exactly. She's a Harry Potter girl and she'll stay a Harry Potter girl. I mean, if anything, I see him having a, a stronger connection with Hermione. Even a stronger... That's what I thought. When I was like... When I was like five reading the book, when you would read me the books and I would watch the movies, I thought he'd end up with Hermione. And I think a lot of people did. And I mean, I know they drop a lot of hints about Ron and Hermione. Um, J.K. Rowling herself kind of said, yeah, I think Harry and Hermione would have made better sense. Um, And I mean, like I said, if you read, you know, books five, six, you know, even seven, um... He even has a pretty good connection with Luna. It's like a very good friendship, which I think most, I think to me, that's how a romantic relationship should start off. With a friendship. With a friendship. Like, and I said, like, they have a great friendship. He has a great friendship with Hermione. He has a great friendship with Luna that could definitely lead to to some romance there. But kind of sticking with with the theme of women here, do you think that this universe is pro-women, um... Pro witch, I guess, is, the, is is sort of the thing, or you know, like other sort of heroes' journeys. It's it's a man's tale, and you know, here come the women to help out, and, and you know, keep the home fires burning. What, what like, what do you think of the female characters, both good and bad? Because I'm I'm going to include uh, Bellatrix Lestrange in that. Um, I don't know. I think they're good because really, like. Well, uh, I I should just stop saying this and assume everybody gets it that 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 I know more of the movies. But it's just like mm-hmm. I see Harry and Hermione; they're kind of acting as equals, like they're the competent ones, and Ron's just along for the ride. So then I see like, oh, there's the, like like Harry and like especially in I know this didn't happen in the book, but in the in the seventh movie when they're together. Go when they went to well, I know they went to Godric Hall together in the book, but I'm saying the part where they're dancing in the tent and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that. That like I think I saw, like that they're a good team. Like when they were on mm-hmm. their own in this in the seventh movie, I said like they're a really good team and they're kind of like equally competent in doing this, and that goes for the same for all of them because there's never like because it's like I just felt like they kind of let anybody do their thing they didn't like say like oh no like like Cedric only has to do this or Ron it's like Ron has to do this or like Neville has to do like they let everybody do everything yeah and again you know if you kind of read more in the books you know it's really in book five it's really Hermione that pushes Harry to start Dumbledore's army and to train them because you know uh, book five, as we know, they're not being taught defense against the dark arts. Dolores Umbridge uh, is there to really put the kibosh on that. And, you know, Harry's sort of like, Hermione, you you should do this. You're you're the smartest one. And Hermione's like, yeah, Harry, I'm real smart. I could take tests really well. You have real world practical knowledge. Um, you know, we see when he's trying to find one of the Horcruxes, which is the diadem. You know, the movie kind of you know you know luna does stand up for herself and like look i'm not loony here you have to listen to what i'm saying she gives a much bigger speech in the book um she actually you know guides him to the ghost of ravenclaw's daughter um because she actually 
is friends with the ghost of Ravenclaw's daughter. Um, you know, so she's very strong in this book. Mrs. Weasley, you know. I, oh, yeah, throughout. Like, even, like, even before, like, in the movie when she had that fight with Bellatrix, like, constantly she's just, like, she's sticking up for everybody. It's like it's like when, when nobody would listen to, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Mrs. Weasley's always there to stick up for them and be like, no, they're not children, they're people, and you need to hear out what they have to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's easy to sort of say that, you know, she's she's the mom. She's the, uh, you know, and I know you haven't watched Sabrina yet. You know, she's the Aunt Hilda. You know, she's the homemaker, and she's very pleasant, and this and that. Um, when, but she fights for her kids. Oh, and she, then like she, she, not even her kids. She fights for everybody. She fights. She fights for Harry. She fights. Yeah. She fights for Hermione. Um, you know, and I mean that's the thing is when I read book seven and it's the battle of hogwarts and they get to the scene where it's uh luna hermione and Ginny facing off against bellatrix and you know mrs weasley sees it and sort of interjects and you know pretty much delivers the same line she does in the movie like you know not my daughter you bitch um i was just i closed the book and i was like it is so on because i knew this isn't the frumpy housewife you know this is this is, uh, I'm going to steal a line from your Elseworlds finest partner. Oh. Uh, Molly Weasley is a, a bad, bad bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Molly Weasley. That's, that's where it's deserving because, like, <laughs> Kate's never going to listen to this, so I could say it. My my partner that I do Elseworlds finest with most of the time, she says everybody is a bad bitch. There's a secretary in a movie that's in it for one second. She's like, damn, Mrs. Smith is a bad bitch. But Mrs. Weasley, she's a bad bitch. She absolutely is. And, you know, another bad bitch. Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah. Um, I think Helena Bonham Carter. She did a good job as it. Perfect casting. Perfect. Because, like, she she's not always the best choice in everything else she's in. True, true. But this one, I felt it really suited her kind of, like, unhinged act that she always kind of puts on. Her best acting in, in this film was when... Helena Bottom Carter had to play Bellatrix Lestrange. As Hermione playing Bellatrix, that was great. That was perfect. And I almost wonder, like, in scenes like that, if they had... I think... If they have, like, if they have Emma Watson run through the scene... I think that's what they did. They they said they had Emma Watson run through it first. And then they had uh, Helena Bottom Carter run through it, like, going off that performance. But I think it does take a certain amount of self-awareness to do it. So she kind of, like, knows all her cliches and kind of, like, what people think of her. And she was able to take that and kind of, like, make a parody of it. I mean, when she's in Gringotts and she's trying to get the attention of the goblins and she's like... She's just like, ahem. Yeah. Ahem. And Ron's sort of like, you know, come on, you gotta be a little tougher there. And she's still, she's just like, don't you know who I... And it's like, she's... It's it's just perfect. It's 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 great. Um, okay, you know, as you, as you said, you know, you didn't read the books, but I think when you were about four or five, I started reading them to you. I think we made it through book five, book four, book, book four. four. We definitely made it through book four. Um, the actors that we see on the screen, did they fit the image of the characters in the books? Like Daniel Radcliffe, like. 
when you saw him, were you like, oh, that's Harry Potter? Well, I guess I guess for me, it's it doesn't. I'm not the right person to ask because I saw them at around the same time, so like I didn't have anything else to go off of. Okay, and also like. Since, like, when you're younger, like, if something's put in front of you, you're more likely to accept it and be like, oh, yeah, this, than if you're older. So then, like, for me, yes, they all go along perfectly because that's what I grew up with and that's what I knew since, like, day one. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, you know, one thing that we know that happened in the uh, in the film series, uh, after Chamber of Secrets, uh, the actor that portrayed Dumbledore passed away. Uh, Michael Gambon, Sir Michael Gambon, I believe, uh, and if he's not knighted, I, I just knighted him. Um, he, he stepped in and he took over the role of Dumbledore. Um, first two movies or last set of movies, because I can't do math, uh, better, who, who's, the better, who's the better Dumbledore? Oh, last six movies, definitely a better Dumbledore. I, I felt that even though the first two movies, he kind of had he the He did look. the job. He did the... He did... He did what he needed to be in those first... Because, like, in the first two movies, like, Dumbledore doesn't really have, like, a commanding role. And he's just kind of, like, the fatherly or grandfatherly figure who, mm, like, who like, you, who, like, you know, has everybody's back. So then, like, he did a good job for that. But once... Once... I, I What's his name? The Michael new Gambon. Once Michael Gambon came in, he came in at the right time, like, where Dumbledore started taking that commanding role... Like where Dumbledore started entering more of Harry's life, mm. so he he became so then like when we needed a stronger Dumbledore, we got a stronger Dumbledore, and you know he could do the gentle thing as well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it was just the fact that he also had that harder side to him. Reading reading Dumbledore in the books, I always had the impression that Dumbledore was like he was like an old hippie to me. Like he kind of had that mentality and sort of personality. Where I mean, he's I mean, everybody in the wizarding world, you know, he's he's the strongest, probably one of the strongest wizards in the wizarding world. Yet he's a little I don't want to say unhinged, but he definitely he 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 marches to the beat of his own drum. Um, and I kind of picked that up with Michael Gambon's uh, Michael Gambon's uh, sort of take on Dumbledore. And I think you're right. When we needed that stronger Dumbledore, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it was the one actor passed away, but it was a good transition. Uh, jumping around a bit, I mean, we haven't seen the film yet, but Jude Law is going to play a young Dumbledore. Uh, good casting or not so good casting? Pretty good from what I've seen of him in the trailers. Hmm. Pretty good. He has, like, he has, he has that confidence to him. He has, like, that confidence and that strength to him, but he still speaks to Newt very caringly so i think he captures that aspect and yeah 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 it's a pretty good so now um over the summer uh diana i the entire family the entire extended family we took a trip down to orlando florida uh where mormons just love to go and play miniature golf only one mormon i think a lot of more well okay yes base base our base, favorite mormon our favorite yeah that's true yeah um so we got to go to Universal Studios. Uh, everybody in the family went to Islands of Adventure, but Diane and I also got to go over to Universal Studios. So we got to go to Diagon Alley and to Hogsmeade. I mean, and that at that point, I wasn't I wasn't mad that it was raining a little bit because I felt like it because it's never it's like 
Because, like, you picture it, it's never really sunny in Diagon Alley. It's always a little overcast. That's true. When we went to Diagon Alley, uh, it was it was kind of drizzling, kind of dreary. When we went through the brick wall and, yeah. you know, next to the leaky crawl. I mean, I don't know about you. I got the feeling like I really stepped into the magical world. That one I liked more than Hogsmeade. Because Hogsmeade, I kind of felt like, oh, this is fake. Like, they just built a replica of Hogsmeade. But... The Diagon Alley, that felt real. I felt like I was really in Diagon Alley. I absolutely felt like I was in Diagon Alley, um, you know, because it was crammed. Um, the Olive- shops, even though you couldn't go into all the shops, they looked they looked lived in. Because a lot of it, like, in Hogsmeade, it's really only the three broomsticks. And everything else is like, the three broomsticks, the candy shop, and that's it. And then everything else is kind of like, oh, it's closed. But then they don't even look lived in. Like, they don't put, like... They put a few stuff in the windows, but they just feel like, oh, it's just a solid building inside. But these, you kind of felt like, oh, there's something going on in that shop. We just can't go into it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, we went into Ollivander's, and if you've seen it in the movies, and when you read it in the books... just like it. it, And it's crammed just like it. I mean, Oh, with the boxes coming out all over the place. And you would think that... You know, because when we went in there, the store was packed. People were buying wands. So you would think, you know, Universal Studios, money, 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 we want money. You know, they would make it bigger to accommodate more people. But they kept it, they kept it real. Yeah. And what I enjoyed was when, you know, we were we were looking around, we were looking at wands. And I'm sure you remember this little girl asked one of the shopkeepers. What do all the wands? Or she asked, what kind of wand should I get? Yeah. And he started at, well... Let me ask you this. And he started kind of almost giving like a, <laughs> almost like a BuzzFeed quiz, but not really. But it was like an in-character. They're all in-character. And it was kind of based on Juan lore, you know, and he helped her find the perfect fit. And I mean, I think that was pretty, pretty cool. And you, whose wand did you get? Mad-Eye Moody's wand. Mad-Eye Moody's wand. Because Mad-Eye Moody is, I, I like, because like he, he's the coolest. I just, in, in. Even though it wasn't the real Mad-Eye Moody, I, I I liked him in the fourth movie. Because he's not really in any other movies. Yeah, he's very sparingly in, in the fifth, sixth. And it's and again, in the book, he does play a much bigger... They not, don't even see a, him die. And that happened in the book, too. And to me, that was, that was a big injustice. But that. then, at least in the book, they told you that he died. In the movie, they didn't tell you that he died. They kind of mentioned it offhandedly. Oh, you know? okay. When they when they're all coming back to the borough, which of course is the home of the Weasleys, um, you know, uh, they're sort of like you know, Mad Eye died, and see now that here's the thing is in the book, Harry's reaction is is like that's not supposed to happen. He's the toughest guy I know, and he was taken out, you know, while flying on a broom, like this is not supposed to happen. I didn't get that feeling in the movie, uh, but still, I was sort of like, yeah, Mad Eye doesn't go out like that, but. It is what it is. Um, do you have a favorite story? Let's just say, out of all seven books and movies, because I know you kind of have a combination of the two, what is your favorite story in the Harry Potter saga? Um, I don't know. I definitely liked... I don't know. I, I definitely liked... The, I'm just gonna say like everything that happened in the first book because everything in the first book and the first movie it's very light, 
it's very much like with like rose tinted goggles mm-hmm. and then like even though it's like the conflict is like isn't as strong in that one I like it because it's just it's a fun exploration of this world and it's just in the in the book it's very fun to read and it's good for like a little kid that's why I liked it so much and then watching mm-hmm. it you just see them having fun and then you and then you feel like you're having fun watching it even though it's not like balls to the wall action <laughs> so I just like that like that like it was nice it was you could feel you it felt it felt warm that's good I love still to this day definitely the book and and, and the movie too the fourth one because to me it really expanded this wizarding world we got to go to the Quidditch World Cup we got to see witches and wizards from all over the globe. Yeah. And again, in the book, you know, when they get to the site, and again, you know, I understand if we show exactly what happened when they got to the campsite, we're getting a five hour movie here. You know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione wandered through this expansive campsite. They saw witches and wizards from Africa, from Asia, from the US. Uh, you know, they have a World Cup. Then we get the Triwizard Tournament. We get introduced to Durmstrang. We get introduced to Bo Baton. You know, we, we, we get the... I mean, I think before that, people sort of were like, is Hogwarts... Hogwarts the only one. Yeah. It can't be. That's what I thought when I was a kid. I was just like, whoa, is this like the only... But then like I would make up like different things in my head before we got to book four. And I think what, what book four really helped to do is really sort of confirm it. Because I think a lot of people felt there has to be because... There can't just be wizards just in England. Right, you know, and even if there's wizards all over the world... They have to have a school. They have to have schools, yeah. So I liked it because it it opened up the world further, and I liked it because it started to introduce kind of, you know, I mean, Voldemort comes back. He comes back for real. You know, he, he gets a body. He's corporeal. Um, but there was also some more, you know, real... You know, Harry, Harry had to... Ask a girl out on a date. Harry had a crush on a girl, and like a typical fourteen-year-old, he he fudged it up. Um, you know, we got introduced to some of these concepts there. So I think, like for me, book and movie four is is, is kind of my favorite. So let me ask you: you get your you get your you get your uh, letter. The owl comes, delivers your letter to you. You're going yeah. off to Hogwarts. Uh, what are some classes you're looking forward to? The forget who's teaching it. What are you looking to learn, and what are you absolutely dreading to take? <laughs> um, Transfiguration, I wouldn't want to take. And I think that's because everybody in the movies kind of hated taking Transfiguration, so that kind of rubbed off on me. It seems way too technical. Yeah. And and, and not for nothing, what is the point of turning like a mouse into, into a goblet? Yeah. I guess you can eventually turn yourself into a mouse or a goblet. Or are you born that way? Turning uh, into no. Because, like, um, like, McGonagall, did she learn it or was she born she that way? She learned it. Yeah, she learned it. I guess it would be sort of like if I was going to, like, if I had a valuable. To I, hide it. I could transfigure it and hide it. But to me, it seems like a lot of classwork to do to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, uh, and then I feel like. What was the one where they would look into the tea leaves and they would... Oh, uh, uh, that was divination. Divination, yeah, I wouldn't want that. That just seems too weird for me. I would see it as just like... I would be just like Hermione. This is this is a load of bunk. <laughs> yeah, it's like I would... I would like... Um, I don't know. I would like... I would like... Uh, 
runic classes, I would like those. Because I know they do that. Yeah. I wish they would explain more. About what, what the runes do. Yeah. yeah. But ancient runes was a class, yeah. And I would like... I think I'd actually like potions. I could see potions being interesting. I mean, I would love to take charms class, because to me, that's... The most practical. That's the most practical. I'd like to take defense against the dark arts, but I would also be kind of nervous to take defense against the dark arts. Yeah. Uh, would you play Quidditch? No. <laughs> Why not? I'm not flying around on a broom 100 <laughs> feet up in the air. No, I'm not doing that. With a bludger chasing after me, hoping that Fred and George keep it off my back. I don't trust them. <laughs> Would you be a Quidditch fan? Oh, yeah, of course I'd watch. <laughs> Out there for Huffle, Hufflepuff, rooting for third place. Yeah. There we go. That was going to be my next question. I mean, I knew the answer, but you, you definitely see. Why do you... We'll tell, we'll tell everybody. Why do you see yourself as... Or why... Do you think you would be sorted into Hufflepuff? Um, actually, this I know a lot of people like. Well, I think I think a lot of younger people take the Pottermore quiz and take it very seriously. But then I took it and actually said I was a Ravenclaw, and I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not a Ravenclaw, because for me, I see it as that Hufflepuffs are kind and loyal, and they do things without asking in return. And they're always there to listen to people. It's like, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I feel like I'm that kind of person, you know? Like, where I'm loyal to people, I'm always willing to listen, I'm always willing to help out. And then I feel like that's... Because, like, even though, like, everybody's like, I want to be... Or, like, you know, more like kids. Like, like little kids are like, I want to be in Gryffindor because they're all heroes. It's like, yeah, like, Gryffindors are brave and they are always, like, the heroes, but... Hufflepuffs are the people doing, like, the good work out there, you know? Yeah, and, you know, we saw... Puffs. Yeah, we saw Puffs, off-Broadway show Puffs. Amazing show. Yeah. Definitely go see it. It's 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 very funny, but what I enjoyed about it is, is actually when they sort of learned the lore of Hufflepuff, pretty much what Diana just told you is the message that does get out there. And something interesting, too, and you definitely pointed this out... Um, well, you know what? Look, I said there's going to... Well, I'll give a little bit of spoilers. Uh, Wayne, who is the main character, he's the main Hufflepuff here, um, kind of, you know... He's not happy being a Hufflepuff. He says, like, he's kind of like... He's kind of like, so we're nice all the time and we don't get anything. And they're like, yep, that's what it's like. You're just nice and loyal to people and they stomp all over you. That's what being a Hufflepuff... And, like, even at the end, he learns that lesson. It's just sometimes... Sometimes you're just second fiddle and nobody notices you. But when the Battle of Hogwarts breaks out, you know, now in the movies we see that, of course, the Slytherins are like, you know, boo Harry Potter and lock lock him in the dungeons. You know, and it seems like everybody else is sort of like, you know, we'll help you, Harry. When you watch Puffs, Wayne kind of brings up an interesting point, which you kind of like latched on. Like you like the viewpoint of he's sort of like, why are we fighting this war? You know, why are we fighting for Harry Potter, right? That was yeah. kind of... He was like, he was like, I don't want to... That's his saying, like, I don't want to die for a kid who never gave me the time of day. Sort of like, it's this is his problem, sort of a thing. But then Hufflepuffs are there no matter what. That's right, Hufflepuffs are there no matter what. Definitely got to go check out Puffs. Um, just... 
I, small theater to small theater. So don't so don't go all at once. <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually think if we do see it again, I want to sit in the balcony because I I, I want to be there when uh, Voldemort. Oh, and Voldemort's up there. <laughs> okay, we'll just wait. Did anybody bring any board games? Oh, this is still on. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> you have to see it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I loved the Puffs version of Cedric much better. Much better than, uh, than, than Twilight Cedric. Than Edward the Vampire. Because this Cedric was how Cedric is. Like, he's warm, he's willing to help, he's a true Hufflepuff. He's there for his friend Harry, and he's there no matter what for him. Yeah, because when we get to... Well, it, well not Harry for Wayne, Wayne and Puffs, but he was also... But you could also associate that that's what Cedric is. He's always there for his friend Harry. Yeah, and I mean, the thing that was very interesting was, is, you know, when we get to uh, book four, uh, you know, and Wayne is still struggling with magic. You know, Wayne is a, he is a muggle-born, and uh, he's struggling with magic. And Cedric tells him, right before the third task... Don't worry. Once I complete this third task, in I'll Wayne, tell Wayne, you everything I know. And the audience is just like, ah! <laughs> but but not for nothing, you know. Of course, Cedric does not know that he's about to go to his death. But that's the type of person he is. He's like, look. Once I finish here, Wayne, I am gonna help you out, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you the wizard I know you can be. And that's a Hufflepuff, and that's Cedric, absolutely. Um. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, along- Newt's a Hufflepuff. Yeah, Newt's a Hufflepuff. <laughs> okay, let's jump the gun a little bit. Um, no, I was going to say, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was a, a book along with uh, History of Quidditch, I think, or, or Quidditch Through the Ages. Uh, J.K. Rowling wrote them. They were textbooks. Uh, all proceeds went to one, one or more of her. Think, yeah. They went to all her favorite charities, whatever they were. Um, something that was really interesting is, you know, they turned it into a movie. I had no idea what to expect. What did you think? Because we haven't seen Crimes of Grindelwald. But what did you think of the first Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? I liked it when it was focusing on Newt and Kowalski and all his little friends. I didn't really like it when it got into the Ezra Miller Grindelwald stuff. I liked it when it just stayed a fun... Because it reminded when it was fun, him dealing with the beasts bopping around... New York, right? It was New York? It was New York, yeah. New York. Like him bopping around New York with Kowalski. I like that because it reminded me so much of what made the first Harry Potter magical. And that's where it all started. So I said, why not keep that? But then when they did Grindelwald and that whole thing with Ezra Miller, I was like, eh, I don't need this. Just make it like a nice, happy, about fantastic beasts. But then... And where we could find them. Yeah. Who's, who, is, who is a better lead character, Newt or Harry? I feel like we both did. I think keeping the tradition because J.K. Rowling also had a hand in writing it right uh, yes she did yeah keeping the tradition we got bland main characters but I think Newt a little bit more because he always cared for because he always cared for the beasts and they kind of made this and they said they, they said he does this but they never well I guess with Kowalski but they didn't really show it so much is that because he cared for the beast, he also cared for the little guy. So I think that's a little bit more than just Harry Potter always being told he's cool and he's like, yeah, I'm cool. 
Jacob Kowalski has to be one of my favorite Oh, he's the best. Because I feel like Jacob Kowalski is the representation of us. Because if I suddenly discovered there was magic out there, I think I would be just like Jacob Kowalski, where I would just, you know, I would would be freaking out, flipping out. And if Newt was like, you know, come climb into my suitcase for a fantastic adventure, I'd be like, yes! You know, I, I... he, what, what, did, you, you had a, on Elseworlds Finest, you, you had a, a, a line about him or the actor, he gives what? He, he gives good face. You gotta explain that one. Because, like, it's like, he's, he's so expressive, and it's just, his, it's like, it's like, gi- giving face only works in certain roles. It only works in certain roles. So it's, so, so it's like Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler should not give good face, but yes, yes, it's it's like it's more in like comedic roles or like happier toned roles. It's like you like his expressions are big. You all, it's like you can always tell what he's feeling, and it's just like because and because and the actor's having a good time, and because he's having a good time, you're having a good time watching him. Andy Dwyer, Parks and Rec, gives good face. He gives good face. He gives good face. Uh, a role where I think. Good face should have been given, but was not given. Wonder Woman. By whom? Gal Gadot. Really? Too small. It's too small. Wow. Okay. I think she should have given more face. Wow. Okay, Gal Gadot, because I know you listen because you don't stop texting me. Give better face. Okay? Yeah. Because uh, not for nothing, you're going to be facing off against Cheetah, against Kristen Wiig, who she I gives feel good face. Kristen Wiig does give good face. Yes. Yeah, so you better Gal Gadot, you've been put on notice. Give better face. Alrighty. Um let's look at some more of the expanded world here. You know, we, we talked about uh, we talked about the, the parks, things like that. Um the video games, because you did play some of the video games. I played uh, the Game Boy Advanced episodes episodes. There I go again, uh, books one and two. I had a lot of fun with those. Mm-hmm. There were like these isometric games you just run around Hogwarts shooting spells, and then um, I got I got the for my Wii I got Harry Potter Seven Part One, and I couldn't get past the level where you have to sneak past people in the cloak of invisibility, and and it was a first person game, so it's like nobody could touch you. But the problem was you since it's first person, you could only see people in front of you. But people touching you from behind also counted. So I couldn't see these people behind me, but they'd be touching me. <laughs> but Lego Harry Potter's books one through four, that was good. What did you enjoy about that? Because since it's more of the... Because like, cause like five through seven, since those are more of the darker movies, it didn't really translate well into Harry Potter. Because Not Harry into uh, Lego. Lego. Mm-hmm. Because Lego's like slapstick, funny... Like, I yeah. hate to say the term kids games, but like, because I, 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 I want to play that DC Lego game. But then, <laughs> um, yeah, but then like, they are. So then that didn't really translate so well. But the first four movies, oh, they translated perfectly. Like going through the, the forbidden section of the library. I love that because it felt, it, it felt perfect. Cool. Alrighty, I also played back in the PC days. I played <gasps> Ryan and I used to play. We played those, the years one and two. Those PC games. The PC. One games. of us would walk, and the other person would cast spells. And every time we messed up, we'd trade. That's what we do. 
Uh, did you also play? I had Quidditch World Cup. Did you play Quidditch World no. Cup? I had Quidditch World Cup, and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you got to go out there play Quidditch. Uh, you were you were a chaser, and then once you earned like your energy bar or the snitch bar got full, you then automatically switched over to a seeker, and you got to chase it around, catch it. Um, it was nice because you know, like a lot of video games. You started off in Hogwarts, you had to pick your house, and you would play, and they would teach you different skills before each game, so you would learn how to be a chaser, and whoever the chaser was on, you know, whichever team you picked, you know, they would teach you, and then when it was time to learn about bludgers, you know, the, um... Like Fred and George would Fred and George, or, you know, it was Crab and Goyle if you picked Slytherin... Uh, you know, they had all the characters there. It was really great. And then once you won that, you got to play in the Quidditch World Cup. You picked your team. I think there was 8 to 12 nations you could choose from. It was a lot of fun. I mean, once you kind of got it down, it got really easy to win. But uh, it was a lot of fun. All righty. I kind of wanted to go into, I hope you kind of want to talk about this too a little bit. Kind of looking at, you know, I mean, again, this we, we've kind of agreed that the Wizarding World of Harry Potter has a very vast expanded universe that people probably could contribute to or, you know, kind of pitch their thoughts in. So do you think, you know, in this Wizarding World, you know, do you think that there are some things out there in the Wizarding World that we have, like, organized crime? Uh, like, like, do you, I, I don't know, like, do you... Do, do you think like that? Like, do you think there was like a, a magical mafia out there? Yeah, because like <laughs> I, I don't think it's like, I don't think every time an aura is needed, it's for, uh, it's for like a Grindelwald, Voldemort, I want to kill all the Muggles type people. Like that's 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 why they're there. Because like I think more for Dark Wizard is like. We're smuggling in like thirty kilos of cocaine into Hogwarts. <laughs> so it would probably be something magical, magic, but magical okay. cocaine. Magical cocaine. That's all it's called. It's just called magic cocaine. <laughs> like Harry's like, "Do you guys have cocaine here?" And Ron's like, "What's cocaine?" And then like somebody whispers in his ear, "Oh, magic cocaine. Yeah, we have that." <laughs> because and the reason I bring it up is because you know I I, I kind of thought about this. When we look at the when we look at um, the Quidditch World Cup, book four, movie four, uh, Ireland Vol Ireland versus Bulgaria. Ireland is heavily favored to win, even though Victor Crumb is, is playing. He is the seeker for Bulgaria. Uh, here's the thing, and they don't show it in the movie, but it's in the book. Um, didn't didn't one team win by points, even though the other caught the seeker? I mean the snitch. Caught the snitch. That is correct. And what happens is, is beforehand, uh, there's a guy that works for uh, Magical Games and Sports in the in the Ministry of Magic. He's the one that got Mr. Weasley uh, the tickets. His name is Ludo Bagman. He's a former Quidditch player himself. Uh, and he's a compulsive gambler. And he's taking bets on the match. Fred and George, because they want to raise money for their joke shop, pool all their money. And they place a very interesting bet that... Ireland will win, but Victor Crumb will catch the snitch. This does take place. I say the fix is in, and they knew about it. <laughs> mm, yeah. I think Fred and George would know about it, yeah. Fred and George would know about it, and I really see that, like, beforehand, you know, uh, Victor Crumb is sitting there, and, you know, 
Uh, well, he's from Bulgaria, so I'm going to do a Bulgarian accent, which will sound like a Russian accent, because it's all the same. I, I, I'm an American. I can do that. You know, it's like, all right, you will catch Snitch, but only when your team down 500 points. You will lose, but catch Snitch, duh? I mean, come on! Why would you catch the Snitch? Because you know it ends the game, but it won't give you enough points. The fix is in. There is a magical mafia. I'm saying it now. Uh, well, I mean, but, but like fun things like that. What are some fun things that you know we don't see in the books and the movies? I don't know. Are, are there any kind of fun things you would want to like hear about? Like if an expanded universe, expanded Harry Potter universe book came out, what sort of different subject matter would you want to see them tackle? Not like. Not like street crime wizards, but not not like street crimes, but like, but like you know, like, like, like how, kind of like, kind of like you know, like like they'll be like, oh, there's some kids who dropped out of Hogwarts and they made their own little magic gang in London, like something like that. Oh my god! Like what happens when like can you drop out of Hogwarts and if you just try to get by on a fourth year education? Oh my god, so I'm now picturing like London Street Tufts with wands. Like, yeah, like that's what oi. I'm picturing, yeah. Oi, oi fam, what you think you're doing? You need to give me more galleons to get past. Oi, if you're going to join our gang, got to go down Nocturne Alley, see? <laughs> do you think that's where Constantine came from? From Nocturne Alley, yeah. No, from, do you think... Oh, from, from a little ruffian gang like that, yeah. Do you think he was a Hogwarts dropout? I think Constantine was, yeah. I, he got his wand broken. He's like, I don't need no wand, mate. I think Constantine, he was so good at the runes class. Yeah, that's what runes do. I think he would have had philosophical differences with the yeah. uh, curriculum at Hogwarts. Yeah, and he would drop out. Uh, do you think Zatanna? Do you think she would have went to uh, whatever the American? No, Zatara would have homeschooled her. Very, very true. Uh, I mean, we know that Doctor Strange about him, but what do you, what do you, what do you think if do you think Doctor Strange would have gone to Hogwarts or a similar school? You think he would have done okay? You think he would drop out, uh, or you don't know enough about Doctor? I don't Strange? know enough about Doctor Strange, <laughs> but I'd like to see I like to see at Hogwarts or at the American school Doctor Fate comes in as a guest speaker. And they're having an assembly, and it's Dr. Fate, and then all the kids start getting rowdy, and then Dr. Fate just goes, There will be order! And they all sit down. Yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty cool, actually. Um, I don't know, any other famous, like, wizards, magic users out there that, uh... Like, how do you think they would fit into this universe? Wizards of Waverly Place? Wizards, I mean, come well, on. Well, they had their own magic school in Wizards of Waverly Place. Wiz Tech. Wiz Tech, yeah. <laughs> I think that was like, do, all right, it's, it's not really that much off topic. Do you think Wizards of Waverly Place was like an homage, and I know you use that word a lot, and I know you don't like when I use it, but do you think it was like an homage towards Harry Potter, or it was kind of ridicule? Like, like, what was sort of your take? Like, what do you think they were doing with that? I think... I don't think it was an homage, but I, I think it was just it was just like a parody. I think I think it was a parody and I think they were also like, you know, there was some some Disney executive was going, "Hey, these kids uh they like uh, wizards and stuff. 
Hey, Warner Brothers. Hey, bro. Mark Wahlberg comes in. Hey, bro, you know Warner Brothers owns this Harry Potter thing. You guys should get in on that. Yeah, that's right. I was uh, I was smoking a joint with Kirby, and uh, we were saying that there should be a wizarding school. I mean, I was saying there should be a wizarding school. Stanley invented wizarding school. <laughs> and I do that in the utmost respect. I do know that Stanley recently passed away, and I, I do love Stanley, and that was a... But that's what he did. But that is what he did. So that was a tribute to Stanley. Yeah, the darker side of Stanley. Get out of here, Ditko. <laughs> you don't know nothing about Spider-Man. Get out of here, Ditko. <laughs> Go write the A, where he lets people die because he didn't give change to that one guy on the street. Do that. I'm sure Stanley is looking at us right now. He's going, just like, yeah, I did that. I did that. That don't make me come down there, <laughs> Spider-Man, who I created alone <laughs> by myself, along with the Fantastic Four. Shut up, Kirby. <laughs> All righty. Um, I think we talked a lot about yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah, an hour, almost an hour. Yeah, almost an hour about Harry Potter. Wow. And we didn't even talk about Hagrid. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. You know what? I mean, what did you think of Hagrid? I let's, like, let's, everybody likes Hagrid. Who has a problem with Hagrid? Nobody has a problem with it. Well, Dolores Umbridge did. Ah, yeah. okay. Final question. Yeah. Bigger villain, Voldemort or Dolores Umbridge? I think Dolores Umbridge scared me more than Voldemort. Why is that? Because she was very like she was she was very real. Because like I saw it. How old was I? I was like in fourth grade. I was fourth grade, fifth grade, probably. So yeah. I was about to go into middle school, and like middle school was the scariest thing at the time. So I thought I'm gonna get a teacher like Dolores Umbridge, which I did, but. That's what scared me because I was like, next year I could get a teacher like that. So I think that's what scared me more watching these movies because I knew Voldemort's fake, but Dolores Umbridge could have been real. And if you kind of look at things the way they are nowadays. Oh, it's censoring everything, yeah. I mean, Dolores Umbridge worked at the Ministry of Magic. Uh, she was definitely looking to censor things. She was. She clearly had an attitude if she wanted to bring things back to a better time. She to make things great again. She wanted to make the ministry great again for her pal Cornelius Fudge. And in book seven, when Voldemort, you know, by proxy is running the Ministry of Magic and calling the shots and sort of looking to sort of, you know, purify the wizarding world... Though she might not be an actual Death Eater, I mean, she stepped up and supported it. So to me, I, I mean, I agree. Dolores Umbridge was a, she was a real life threat. Yeah, that's true. Alrighty, so I'd like to thank Diana for joining me uh, here on um, Stuff You Don't Need to Know, Don't Need to Know. So Diana, please, before, you, before we sign off, please plug your podcast. Oh, we are Elseworld's Finest, and if you don't know... Elseworlds is one word. It's not else space worlds. It's one word. Elseworlds finest and uh, coming up soon we're doing an episode on Superman 78. Probably the best Superman. Probably I saw that 78 so I was about 8 you years were eight. old. No, yeah. you were you were 7. I was probably 7 years old. Yeah, I was 7 years old at the time. And really I think till maybe Maybe X2? I think that was probably that first Superman. Those first two Superman movies were probably my favorite superhero films of all time. For a very long time. 
Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. Elseworlds Finest. Uh, Same place you could find this, so wherever you're listening to this. Absolutely. And you're listening to this on Anchor, uh, iTunes, Pocket Cast. Spotify. Overcast. Google Play. Breaker. All those great places. Uh, of course, please also check us out or check out Stuff You Don't Need to Know on Instagram. Uh, Stuff You Don't Need to Know, Elseworlds Finest is also on uh, Instagram. Same thing, all one world, Elseworlds Finest. Diana, thanks for joining me. Yep. All right, this is Jay, and I'll talk to you guys later.